The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data. Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, a Ben J. Shap LLC production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Today, we're going to do a deep dive into a marketing channel that is making a comeback in the digital age, direct marketing. Joining us today is Ron Jacobs, who is the president of Jacobs & Clevenger, which is an independent creative communications firm rooted in strategy, technology, empowered and fixated on developing great user experiences that enable customer decisions. Outside of his role managing Jacobs and Clevenger, Ron is the author of the book Successful Direct Marketing Methods, which is now on its eighth edition. Today, Ron is going to tell us about the role direct marketing should play in your marketing mix. Here's our interview with Ron Jacobs, president of Jacobs and Clevenger. Ron, welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Thank you, Ben. It's great to have you here, and it's also exciting to talk to an expert in a marketing channel that's been around for a long time, but is making a comeback. Let's start off by you just telling our audience a little bit about you and a little bit about what you do at Jacobs and Clevenger. Well, Jacobs and Clevenger was founded in 1982. Back then, there was no email, no internet, no MarTech. All of this has evolved. We were a direct marketing agency in 1982 direct mail agency, to be quite honest, because that was the main tools of our trade. We used a lot of telemarketing, but undercurrent of all of that was data. And data and analytics was where my firm really got its start. I personally have been working in direct marketing since the late 70s. I worked for an agency back then called Stone and Adler, which was one of the first agencies that really got into integrated marketing and direct marketing together. They were bought by Y&R. And I worked for the chairman, Bob Stone. And Bob actually wrote the first edition of Successful Direct Marketing Methods. And after he and I started working together, I jumped in and started working with him on future editions of it. Then, as I said, I left and started Jacobs and Clevenger in 1982. And we'll talk more about what we do as we go through the podcast. So you've been doing this for a long time. And you've sort of seen the development of what you consider to be direct marketing moving beyond just mail and telemarketing, like you said, but the use of data and analytics to reach customers on a one-on-one basis. Tell me a little bit about how you define direct marketing as it exists today. 
Well, the definition I've used for a long time is that it's the interactive use of advertising media to stimulate an immediate behavior modification in such a way that that behavior can be tracked, recorded, and analyzed and used in a database for future retrieval and use. Curiously, when successful direct marketing was translated into Japanese a few years ago, the person who translated it said, that doesn't sound like direct marketing to me. That sounds like marketing. And he translated the title of the book as The Marketing, which actually was kind of eye-opening for me too. And it seems like these basic tools and techniques that we've used in direct marketing offers and calls to action all seem to be the tools now of marketing. And I think the evolution of direct marketing, to your point, is that it started, it didn't trend for a long time, and now it's really evolved into basically what all marketers do. So give me the definition that you mentioned one more time. It sounds like that's an important passage in your book. Let me hear it one more time. It's the interactive use of advertising media to stimulate an immediate behavior modification in such a way that that behavior can be tracked, recorded, and analyzed and used in a database for future retrieval. Okay. That is probably closer to the definition of what I would call digital marketing these days, but I guess it doesn't have to be specifically digital. You can still track offline behaviors, although it's a little harder. Frankly, for 100 years or more, that's what direct marketers have done. And since the development of punch cards in the 1950s, which was the early stages of database marketing, and then when we got real databases and were able to now build this information technologically, we've really done exactly that. So the offline-online divide isn't such a big divide for me. In fact, I see these less divided today than ever. It's interesting. We've done a couple interviews talking to people about how to track offline efforts. I guess the question for me with your definition of what direct marketing is, what is not included in that definition that is still marketing? It's a subset of marketing going direct to someone. What isn't direct marketing? I think it's pretty clear to me that most public relations is still not direct marketing. Most advertising, particularly advertising that marketers hope will build awareness, I don't think that's really direct marketing either. I'm not saying I'm anti-brand. I love brands and I do believe we should build them. But to try to track or analyze or optimize that kind of behavior, brand awareness, I think that's where marketers start to fall down a little because not every behavior can be tracked and analyzed. I guess maybe the way that I would simplify your description of direct marketing is direct response marketing, right? It's taking on a marketing effort and capturing data with the hopes of being able to analyze something related to a conversion. We use that an awful lot when we talk with clients, because frankly, most of our clients are trying to convert. They're trying to either generate leads or they're trying to make a sale They're putting information out there and they're now hoping someone will click or respond or do something. The only issue I have with direct response is that in direct marketing, we've always had other divides within the field. So we always call telemarketing, telemarketing or teleservices, as they like to call it today. But direct response actually became a moniker for DR television, direct response television. So when a direct marketer hears the word direct response, 
they immediately think of infomercials or two-minute spots. Yeah, something with a call to action. Yeah, it's television with a call to action. That's the only reason I don't think of it. But I think when I talk to clients, we talk about generating response quite a bit. Interesting. So tell me about the channels that you like to apply today that go into what you call direct marketing. Well, I would be fibbing if I didn't say we still do a lot of direct mail. We do. But we have clients that are in particular fields where direct mail still works for them. Insurance, financial services, retail as a traffic builder. In those fields, we still do a lot of direct mail. But we moved very quickly into CRM after we started the firm. And once we were able to find the tools to do both CRM or what we call lifecycle marketing, which is multiple efforts that go out across multiple different behaviors, we then started to use email, other forms of digital. Today, we're using Facebook, we're using LinkedIn, we're using all the digital channels, but we're using it for a very specific purpose, to your point, to generate a response. So essentially, your strategy has changed a little bit with the rise of the digital revolution, let's call it where instead of focusing on direct mail and trying to reach out on a one-on-one basis, not really having a great understanding of who the customer was or what their behaviors are in real time, you've shifted to what you're calling a CRM or a lifecycle marketing, and you're using multiple digital channels, but also still mixing in sending paper to people. Yeah, where you're 100% right is that while direct marketing isn't trending as a term, if you look at it as a search term, it just isn't. But when you look at it as a marketing tactic or a marketing tool or technique, what you see is direct mail has made a huge comeback and more and more companies are starting to find ways to incorporate direct mail into the digital stream. And together, those things work pretty well together. So there's two topics I want to cover. One, how do you think about looking at user interactions and data to try to figure out what your triggers are? And two, how are you using technology to send your direct mail or whatever campaigns you want to use? Let's talk a little bit first about the use of technology and CRMs to understand what behaviors require a marketing effort. What's your thought there? Virtually every behavior can have a marketing effort. So if we start with acquiring a customer, that is a perfect tool for either email or direct mail. A lot of people argue maybe direct mail is a better channel than email because there are some built-in issues with prospecting using email. But once someone raises their hand, now we can start to talk to them. And I think that's still part of the acquisition process. That's where it all starts. Once we've acquired them, then we have to onboard them. And then once we onboard them, we have to get them to make the first effort or make the first purchase or make the first conversion. Then we have to get them to convert again and again. And if we lose track of them over time or if they stop buying or stop saving or stop doing whatever it is we want them to do, we reactivate them. Mm-hmm. Each of those is an individual behavior that we identify. So sometimes with a client, we'll have eight or 10 separate streams of multiple efforts. This is another thing I kind of believe today. Back in the old days, we used to do a lot of solo direct mail. The word solo has sort of slipped out of our vocabulary because consumers get so much communication 
nobody responds to one effort. So today we're doing multiple efforts, whether it's multiple direct mail efforts, multiple email efforts, multiple channels, or some combination of all. So that brings up a really interesting topic. And essentially what I'm hearing you say is when you're thinking about your marketing funnel, there's your customer acquisition where you're not necessarily selling to your prospects, but you're just trying to get them to self-select and figure out who is the highest propensity to buy whatever you're selling. Then you go through an onboarding process where you're educating them and trying to get them to not only realize that they need a service, but why yours is the best. Then you get to the actual customer conversion. And then there's a part of marketing after that, which is lifecycle marketing and even getting into retention where you're re-engaging people that used to be your customers. Are there any steps in that basic funnel that we've left out? I think you've covered most of the steps. The problem for us today is that there's always another step. There's always something new we haven't thought of. A lot of folks think that, well, once we've gotten someone to sign up, that's all we have to do. But as I pointed out, you've got to really onboard them. So we'll do training videos or other things for people to click on as part of the additional onboarding process to actually get to that first purchase. Because I can't take it for granted that someone's going to actually make the first purchase, the first sign up, buy the first thing, do whatever that activity is that I'm trying to get them to do. So how do you figure out when you're marketing to a customer? And obviously you do this for multiple different industries and multiple different brands, but how many touch points that customer needs to have to move into the next stage? And what are the channels that you should apply to each prospect? There's three or four dynamics that we have to look at. First of all, what's the end goal? What are we trying to get people to do at the end? So that's going to tell us right away how much we can afford to spend. Because once we know what the end goal is, we can start to calculate what the return on investment is. This is something about direct marketing that has been true since the earliest days. Direct marketing was an entrepreneurial business. So when a direct marketer looks at a marketing problem, we see a business problem because the business is really what we're trying to affect at the end. So when we look at it as a business problem, we start to say, what's the goal? What's our objective? How much revenue are we going to generate? That starts to tell us what we can afford to do in the meantime. And then we start to lay out our efforts and the number of efforts and frankly, even the channels that we can use. So it really starts out with a process of knowing what we can afford to spend to create a customer that helps us to better understand what we're going to do. So as a rule of thumb, we use three to four efforts in each stage of the life cycle, and that's our starting point. Typically, we're going to mix direct mail and email if we can. If all we're doing is working online, we have a number of clients that only exist on the internet. So for those clients, we don't use direct mail. But we have other clients, for example, where the goal is to get someone to make a phone call. Because, for example, they're selling insurance and the prospect needs to talk to an agent in order to make an insurance purchase. So there we're going to use direct mail and maybe now add email into it and add that into the number of efforts and each of the stages that we do. 
It's interesting. One of the things that I've noticed, and honestly, in my last full-time role, one of the things that we experimented with, it was a digital service. It was a dry cleaning and laundry delivery company. And we were testing direct mail because it was a service that was provided to people at their home. So we wanted to reach them where their pain was in the home, which is why we started sending direct mail. And I've seen that there's a trend for other on-demand style services to rely heavily on direct mail because email is a saturated channel on some level. Do you find that the responses for direct mail have improved recently? Are you seeing more digital services testing that as a channel? What we see is that by themselves, both direct mail and email are a little saturated. I know it seems odd because there doesn't seem to be as much direct mail. But if you look at your mailbox, you'd be surprised still how much mail you get. There are different segments of the market, typically by age that we look at. Older consumers really still love direct mail. Millennials have started to adapt direct mail, despite the fact that they seem to live their lives in this digital world. It's the people who are a little more time-starved in the middle, where we see most of our clients looking at digital channels more exclusively. But for us, as I mentioned, a lot of the time where we go digital only is where our client only exists there, where there is some sort of a brick and mortar component to it, like a delivery service, like a retailer, there we'll start to add in the direct mail channel. So you found that the connection going from offline to online, and by that I mean delivering a piece of direct mail and then trying to get someone to take an action in the digital world has been more challenging than if you're sending a piece of direct mail, having somebody place a phone call, visit a store, doing something in the real world, not take a digital action. That's absolutely correct. That, I think, is really a very difficult part of the marketing problem today. Interesting. Talk to me a little bit about the messaging. Do you see that between delivering a digital message or delivering your message in sort of a real world scenario, you know, a direct mail piece, do you find that the offers and the messages need to be different? No. The length needs to be different. There's much more brevity in email because no one wants to read a long email. But frankly, we don't write four-page letters very much anymore or six or eight-page letters in direct mail either. We tend to write one-sided, one-page, and we tend to visually borrow from each channel so that for a long time, we were writing direct mails with a right rail or a left rail. And then when mobile started to take over and there were no more rails, so to speak, in the digital channel, then we started to take those away again. Mm -hmm. Typically, in an email, we'll usually have two calls to action, maybe a third call to action. In a direct mail piece, we'll have at least three calls to action and usually a call to action in a PS. We've almost never used a PS in an email, but that's just a feature of the channel. It's something we've always done. We can graphically use subheads and headlines with direct mail, where once again, we don't do that as much in email. So we just write a little differently. Although most of our writers and most of our designers are designing both for the digital channels as well as for direct mail. Okay. I think that's really interesting stuff, learning the difference about marketing in the digital versus in the real world. 
And that's a great place for us to land the plane on this episode. So that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks to Ron Jacobs, the founder of Jacobs and Clevenger, for joining us. In part two of our interview, which we'll publish tomorrow, Ron is going to tell us a little bit more about how you can optimize your direct marketing campaigns. If you can't wait until our next episode and you'd like to learn more about Ron, you can click on the link to his LinkedIn profile in his bio in our show notes, or you can tweet him at Ron Jacobs, R-O-N-J-A-C-O-B-S, or you can visit his company website, jacobsclevenger.com. That's J-A-C-O-B-S-C-L-E-V-E-N-G-E-R.com. If you're a subscriber to the MarTech Podcast, thank you for being a member of our community. We always want to hear from you. So we created benjshap.com slash question, where you can send us your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can also reach out via social media. My handle is benjshap on LinkedIn and on Twitter. That's B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P. If you haven't subscribed yet and you want a weekly stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, in addition to part two of our conversation with Ron Jacobs, the founder of Jacobs and Clevenger, we've got some great episodes lined up over the next few weeks. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. Okay, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy. Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.